Welcome to GRIT, the Real Estate Growth Mindset Podcast, hosted by Brian Charlesworth, founder of Sisu. Sisu provides growth automation software for real estate. You'll hear stories from real estate thought and technology leaders, team owners, and brokers on how they grew their business in a rapidly changing industry. You'll learn how to transform your brokerage and teams into a high-performing and analytics-driven business so you have a new, durable, competitive advantage against disruption in your market. So let's get right into it. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Grit Podcast. I'm Brian Charlesworth. I'm the founder and CEO of Sisu and your host of the show. And I'm excited today. We have Ty Voiles in the house. He's actually not in my house. He's in his house. Looks like we're both in our home office today. Since family reunion, it seems like we're getting a lot of uh, KW people on the show. So anyway, excited to have Ty with us today. Ty actually comes from an interesting background, and I'm actually going to dive into that as we jump into the show, because I think it actually plays a role in his team and where they're at today. So, but he, he comes, spent about a decade outside of the real estate industry and then jumped into the real estate industry and... Uh, became a very successful agent on his own, and then started a team, was the co-founder of a team that he is now at called Fulcrum. And uh, you're the CEO and running running the show there. And you guys now have 11 locations is my understanding. Is that right, Ty? I mean, it, it changes, you know, sometimes week to week, but um, yeah, we've got agents that are in uh, about a dozen or so different offices surrounding kind of the metropolitan Washington, D.C. area and stretching down to Richmond. Okay. And so would you call those expansion teams? Is that, I mean, I know it's KW terminology, but is that is that what you would, would call those? Yeah, they're, they're geographic expansion for us. I mean, um, there's a lot of neighborhood expertise that's built into those, you know, different spokes. And so I think the expansion in moniker works for that. We really run it as one large integrated team, yeah. I would think though. Okay. Okay, great. So before we go back in time, can you just give us like a quick summary of your business, like where you guys are at today, size-wise, volume-wise, or you know, units and that kind of stuff? Yeah, sure. We're about a house a day, you know, selling just under 400 units a year for about $200 million in volume. Um, okay. We've been, that's kind of a ceiling of achievement for us, honestly, which is one of our challenges right now. We've been there for the last two years running and are looking to kind of switch a couple things up this year to see what we can do to, to break through that. Okay, great. Well, I'm excited to hear what you have plans for, for doing that this year. And being in my role, I get to see a lot of teams your size that actually that, that found ways to double their business every year. So um, maybe that's something we can talk about offline, but I'm excited to, to spend my time with you and congratulations on the success. That's a, that's a huge number for most people. I remember for the longest time, about five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, it was like everyone's goal was to do a hundred million in volume, right? And, uh, and now I'm seeing these teams and I, I get to experience these just because many of them are our customers, but you know, the, they're doubling every year, which they're going from, you know, I've, I've watched teams go from 150 transactions a year over the last three years to now they're doing over, you know, 1200. And so it's just, it, it's insane to see this kind of growth and, and see them actually doing billions in volume now, instead of 
hundreds of millions. So I think a billion is now what used to be a hundred million for these teams. And it's because people like you are running your teams as true businesses versus, Hey, I'm a realtor out here selling real estate. Right. So, mm-hmm. so as you got into real estate, let's go back to even before you got into real estate, tell us about your background before the days of real estate. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm from an entrepreneurial family. Um, you know, my father uh, bought a publishing business um, back when Yellow Pages still existed. He started as a, a Yellow Page salesperson and, you know, stuck around in that company and bought the business and kind of bootstrapped it from what it was to a fairly large national player in that niche. Like it was a really small, small niche, but they published college and retirement community telephone directories. So I cut my teeth in yellow page ad sales, right? Like selling something that generally nobody wanted. And it was what, what year, what year was that, by the way, this was in, I started doing it kind of in the mid nineties. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so just just really as the internet was coming out, right? The internet wasn't yeah. the internet until about mid nineties, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's when it rolled out. So okay, just putting yeah. things in perspective for people here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so uh, that's I cut my teeth doing that, and it was great. I got to travel a lot. Um, you know, specifically to college towns, which was a ton of fun. And after I had done that for a while, I did that through high school, uh, did it through college and did it for a year after college. I got tired of living out of my trunk. And um, while I was in school, I worked as an intern for somebody who was a a first business mentor to me, Bell Helicopter, which is, you know, a government contractor that does a lot of aircraft manufacturing, helicopter manufacturing. And so I called up this mentor and I said, hey, I'm tired of living on the road. You know, do you have anything uh, up? where you are. And she had moved from Fort Worth, Texas to Washington, DC. And she said, yeah, I think I got something, you know, come up, interview for it. We'll see if it's a fit. And it was. And so I landed in Washington, DC from Texas and up here, I started doing project management for software development predominantly. And we built systems that kept flight simulators and and training manuals in line with production aircraft. So it's a totally different system than real estate but it all ties back together eventually. Right. So I did that for, I don't know, seven years or so. And then, um, got tired of working in the defense industry, jumped over and worked at the library of Congress for a little while, running a couple of different software projects there where they were bringing in electronic journals from different publishers across the country and cataloging those. And then that didn't really fit kind of the pace of the day that I wanted. Right. You think about librarians, wonderful people, government contractors, wonderful people, both very slow paced though. And so it was like the job equivalent of, of crossing, I think, you know, a turtle and a snail together when it came to pace. And so I started doing some volunteering and ended up building green roofs and really enjoyed it. Right. I liked working with my hands. I'd always enjoyed that when I was a kid and there was an opportunity that came up there to project manage some green roofing, you know, construction jobs. Uh, and so I jumped to do that. I left the the library and I took a job at this nonprofit and I took a 60% pay cut to do so. Um, it was just, you know, I was at a point in my life where I really wanted to make a change and uh, that was pain. I was willing to endure to, to do it. But at the same time, I knew that I needed to make that up. And so I picked up my real estate license and that's kind of bringing back this marriage of original sales, right? But kind of connecting it with project management. And so that's how I started in real estate. And I was 
you know, whether you want to call it a part-time or a dual career agent um, for about the first two years. And then two years in, you know, realized I needed to pick a track and coming from an entrepreneurial background, wanting an entrepreneurial road ahead of me, I knew that there was a lot more opportunity and if not opportunity, at least likelihood of me doing that in real estate than there was in, you know, sustainable roof gardens. Yeah. Right. So, you know, most people in real estate, I think, come from more of a sales background, may or may not have a college degree. You come from a background of really systems, right? <laughs> putting putting systems in place and, and uh, project management, which is, I think, a totally different mindset than most people in the real estate space. So sales, I mean, you did, you did do sales, you were, you were doing your, you know, your yellow pages. And so when you, when you got into real estate and that all came together, like, what were your thoughts? When did you see the vision? What made you say, Hey, real estate's the thing for me? Yeah. And initially it wasn't there. Like initially I got into real estate because, you know, I looked at it and I did the math and I thought, well, I need to make more money. I can kind of control my own income with this. I yeah. think I can control my own hours, right? Like that's the farce that we all tell ourselves at the beginning. Which is t- working double the hours that you originally, that you did before you got into real estate probably. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to work when I want to work with who I want to work. And at the end of the day, you know, once you get in, you're like, all right, I'm a little bit more call and response than I'd like to be, you know? And so I chased my tail on that for a little while. But as, as I built it up, I really saw a lot of similarity between, you know, an individual project, right? Be it a construction project or be it a software development project and the real estate timeline, uh, especially in the transaction side of things. Mm-hmm. And so I glommed onto that and I really liked that. Uh, I was also pulled into the business by the realtor that I used for the first two houses that I bought. I mean, you know, I was everybody's worst first client. It took me seven months, you know, to buy a house. I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know where I wanted to live. But the benefit, you know, other than buying the house was I got to become really good friends with my agent um, and still am to this day. So he was he was my first business partner. So we started working together. And Jimmy is just um, an amazing salesperson and entrepreneur. And so we paired together really well because of that. Right. My systems background, his knack for sales and people and, and connection. And so that was a really big kind of kick to the flywheel, you know, for 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 me getting in and seeing how the business worked. Uh, and then pretty quickly after that, we had a, a third player kind of come into our team, which is my current business partner, Tom Cavanaugh. And Tom and Jimmy were very similar in that kind of idea structure, right? I think that, you know, um, they would come up with more ideas in a day than I would in a week, but, you know, I could implement more than they could, you know, in a month that, or I would implement in a month more than they would in a year, right? And like, that's kind of the the thought process we, we worked with. And so it, it, you know, it just kind of this yin and this yang and, and it, it paired up really, really well. Yeah. And I think everybody needs that. What's the, what's the book? I can't remember the name of it right now, but you have your, your visionary and your integrator, right? You're, yeah. you Rocket are the fuel. integrator. Yeah. Rocket yeah. fuel. Yeah, absolutely. Rocket fuel. So you are, you are the integrator. And if you haven't read rocket fuel, for those of you who are visionaries out there, you need, you need a tie in your life, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's great. We actually still, Tom and I still run our monthly meetings, you know, on some of the agenda ideas that are in rocket fuel. You know, here's what you talk about. Here's how you make sure the connection's still there. Here's how you organize ideas. 
because you yeah. make sure they're implemented and follow them. It's a great book. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, so you, you and I share something in common here, Ty, because when I got into the real estate space, you know, I had been in software and I had been in, I had owned some franchisors. And then um, when I sold one of those, my wife asked me to, you know, jump in and help her build a real estate team for a while. And as you, I saw this, like this whole system of taking a contract from, you know, that first appointment to close. There aren't a lot of systems in this space around that, which is how Sisu got formed. So you, rather than forming a company like I did, a software company that does this, you said, hey, I'm going to, I'm basically going to solve this problem for our team, right? Is that, is that kind of the approach you took? Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's, you know, how it kind of manifested itself. But at first, you know, the three of us were just individual agents. We shared some office space. We shared an assistant, you know, we kind of did that you know, you, everybody eats what they kills, right? Like, so you, you work your own clients, you keep your own commissions, but you share expenses. And it was the way that teams kind of ran at that point. Um, and as we got exposed to, you know, the broader real estate world, I think you asked earlier, like, how how did you know that you wanted to build a business out of this? Um, we had somebody introduce us to, to the millionaire real estate agent, you know, Gary Keller's book, the red book. And looked up and said, hey, you can actually build a business, you know, and there aren't many people, at least at that time, that were doing it in this space. And here's a system for building the book, you know, for building the business, like just follow the process. And of course, you know, we didn't at first, um, right? Like everybody, I think, starts and goes, okay, that's great, but I can do it better. And, you know, so we stubbed our toes and did some things backwards, but that was basically it. We had got tired of taking phone calls at the beach and covering for each other when we were out of town and, you know, I also looked up and and um, saw that there are a lot of real estate agents that don't have businesses that transition, you know, when they're ready to, right? Whether mm-hmm. they want to retire or they pass or whatever, the business kind of goes with them. And yeah. that's a sad thing because those relationships are really important and valuable and they should live past, I think, an individual's, you know, existence in them. Yeah, totally agree. So that was what year, I mean, Gary wrote the book in 2003. What year did you mm-hmm. read that book and make that decision and, and start building a team? Yeah, I read it. Uh, first time I read it was in 2011. Um, so okay. That's when I was first exposed to it. Okay. So prior to that, you as a solo agent, I know you had Zillow relationship, Trulia relationship. Mm-hmm. Tell me about those. I'm guessing with you being a systems individual, like you figured out how to respond and get the best response time and probably the highest conversion rate on those types of leads. And that's just a guess. You tell me, is that, was that a focus of yours at that time? I think that's, that's probably half true. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Brian, we, you know, we were really good at building systems around the low hanging fruit, which I think was most agents, you know, win with those kind of Zillow and Trulia relationships. So You know, when the phone would ring or the email would come in or the prospect would inquire, like we were on it really quickly and we built a system on how to do that. And so we got a lot of the low hanging fruit. I think that as the search process has changed, it exposed, at least for us, it it certainly exposed um, that we didn't have any long tail follow up. And, you know, that was a big issue, right? Like uh, I, I heard a family reunion a couple of weeks ago that you know, it used to be that buyers would start their search and they would be, you know, three months, four months out. And now you're starting to see people either be constant voyeurs, right? And window shop for houses, just like they window shop for shoes, or really start dipping their toes in the water with specific inquiries 
you know, 18 to 24 to sometimes 36 months out. And that's where those relationships on Zillow and Trulia and Realtor and a lot of the, the internet lead generation sites have gone. And most real estate agents, us included, were not good at that. So, you know, yeah, it was, it's partially true that we built really good systems around the initial response, but we failed to build really good systems around the long tail. Uh, and that, I think, has been something that we've been course correcting for for you know, many years at this point and still trying to, to dial in really, really well. Interesting. Thanks for sharing that because I think a lot of people, a lot of people still today feel like, hey, you know, those are just the easy going to convert overnight leads. Right. And yeah, at the end of the day, I hear so many people talk about um, specifically whether they're agents on my team or in the brokerage or agents, you know, that I run into on the street. They talk about, oh, that's a, that's a bad lead. Right. Or that's a great lead. And it's, end of the day they're not good leads or bad leads right like that's the wrong adjective set to to, you know apply to them they're either ready buyers ready sellers or they're not you know and they're not leads they're people that are going to likely buy or sell a house it's just where are they in their journey and how do you have the right conversation with them at that point so that when they are ready to buy or sell you know that conversation is is easy to move into that's that's well said. I mean, I've seen a lot of people. I've watched a lot of agents personally with my wife running a team of 45 agents now. A lot of agents have it in their minds that, you know, Zillow leads are great or Zillow leads are horrible, right? They've decided that that lead is good or bad based on one experience they had. And that same agent who thinks a Zillow lead is great may think an op city lead is horrible, even though they're the same leads, right? They're, they're they're these people, like you're saying, they're people looking to buy a house at some point. Do you understand where they're at in that life cycle? And yeah. so, but, but the mindset of, you know, just your standard agent out there is they, they get in their mind that this type of lead is good. This type of lead is bad. And as a team leader, what I've learned mm-hmm. is you have to figure out where they're at in that mindset and not give them those leads that they feel are bad anymore because they don't follow up on them. Yeah, that's exactly right. So um, my partner, Tom, likes to say everything works and nothing doesn't. And he's right. But I also like to come back and say, yeah, but you can't do everything and make it work, you know? And so this is that idea of, okay, well, if A works for you and B doesn't, do A, don't do B. But I guarantee you both A and B do work. It's just, you've got to work that system. Right. So with you guys trying to perfect this over these last several years are you still like are you guys still working with zillow and trulia and and the other lead sources or how are you generating leads today yeah i mean our sphere of influence is still our our biggest source and i think it always will be and it always should be right because even when you're pulling you know organic social leads or seo based or pay-per-click stuff um eventually those people need to be brought into your sphere of influence right and that that cycle should repeat. So those are kind of the methods that, you know, that we use. So there's some Facebook stuff, there's some Instagram stuff, there's some Google local services, AdWords, you know, those are, are the general kind of, you know, organic and paid sources from digital that we're using right now. And then we love traditional open houses, you know, door knocking, inviting the neighbors over stuff like that events-based kind of love on your sphere. Yeah. It's so funny because when I started in real estate, I don't know, it was like seven years ago. And I was only, I was only really in real estate for like a year and a half, but 
you could build a business just based on open houses, right? If you go do an open house or two every week, you can build a significant business around that. In my opinion, just doing that, you could sell easily sell at least 40 homes a year, at least as a brand new agent. Mm -hmm. And I experienced that myself. So that's, that's why I say that. But I, I think a lot of people have gone away from the open house. Why do you think that is? Uh, it's interesting. I don't. I don't know. I think that um, at least what we're seeing locally is that inventory is so low that houses move really quickly. I think that there's been a little bit of a shift in the industry to where there's more of this kind of private, exclusive, or pocket listing approach, and so there's fewer open houses to be had sometimes. And then I think it comes back to the follow up. I mean, just you know, as people in general, not as real estate agents, but as people in general, our attention span is constantly getting shorter and the desire for instant gratification is constantly getting stronger and mm -hmm. lead follow-up be it open houses or online leads or any other source you know it takes a little bit more attention than kind of that instant gratification allows for yeah it it seems to me i mean my, my perception is that teams are really taking over this industry and if you're not on a team you're gonna have a hard time existing especially if you're a brand new agent today, like coming into the industry and not being on a team, it's going to be very, very difficult. But on the, on the other hand, someone who comes in and is on a team and just gets leads fed to them, they don't ever learn some of, in some cases now, they don't ever learn how to hunt, right? They don't ever learn how to do open houses. They don't, they don't learn. They just kind of wait to be fed. And I'm seeing a lot of that too. Um, it sounds like you guys are, really focused on teaching your agents how to, how to build the business themselves and work their SOIs versus spoon feeding them everything. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, that's the way that we built, you know, the expansion location setup that we currently have is you know, finding partners that we could work with and by helping them dig into their existing sphere of influence, be able to increase their business proportionally, you know? So I think it, it certainly is a, it's a business risk, right? Like you teach people to fish and they can go eat on their own. Um, yeah. But that's where, you know, the kind of the culture and the connectivity mm -hmm. and the additional benefit value, the additional like value add needs to be there to keep the relationship intact between the agents and the team. But at the same time, I think that the, you know, you're talking about agents, some agents, especially newer agents coming in and joining a team are happy to be fed and just go execute on that. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing because as the teams grow, and participation in teams grow, I think what it does is it allows for the industry to get even more specialized. And specialization really is what needs to happen in the real estate industry. Yeah. I mean, to, to provide what a consumer wants and honestly what a consumer deserves for the amount of money that they're spending and the amount of money that they're compensating their agents or teams, they really should get specialists in each piece of the transaction that communicate well, they're connected. I, I totally agree with that. The agent plays a role and so does the transaction coordinator and so do any VAs that you might have out there. Mm -hmm. So how many agents are on your team right now? If you've been enjoying Grit, please help us continue to grow the channel by leaving a five-star review and sharing it with a friend. Now back to Grit. There's about two dozen. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I'd love to hear... Just as you came in and started setting up this team, you being having a systems background, you're one of 
you're one of five now that I've met in this industry that actually said the word Salesforce to me. <laughs> so I'd love to hear from you, just like, what is it important? What automations are important for somebody to come in here in that, in that life cycle of a transaction, going from that first appointment to closing and, and possibly even beyond closing? Like what automations can you do to really streamline that process of, you know, managing that transaction process? Because I know that's something you're passionate about. So I'd love to get your opinion on that. Yeah, uh, it is. So I, I say Salesforce and I use Salesforce, I think because more than anything, when we started looking for a better tech solution, it was 2014 and there wasn't anything that really handled you know, a soup to nuts kind of transaction process, right? There was lead generation and lead follow-up, but that stopped once the appointment was set. And then there yeah. was, you know, the transaction management and brokerage compliance, which sometimes were together and sometimes weren't, but then that stopped once the transaction closed. And then there were, you know, a handful of relationship management beyond the, the transaction um, solutions that were there, but nobody really tied it together. And so... There were a couple of real estate specific overlays to Salesforce that did that in 2014. And so that's what we were looking for. And it's, it's what we moved into. I think there's some strength in that in the fact that, you know, at that point, especially eight years ago, we didn't have to integrate as many disparate solutions, but there's obviously some drawbacks too, right? Like we were just talking about specialization. I think one of the things that we're seeing in the industry right now is people are building very powerful, specific solutions and just stringing them together with APIs in a pretty seamless fashion. And so the landscape's changed because of that. But there's, you know, to come back to your question, there's any piece of the process really can be automated for the most part. You know, we're starting to see AI help with lead engagement and conversion on the front end. That never has been up until, you know, really last year, something that I felt was a viable piece, you know, for us to insert into our business. But it started really for me again with that kind of transaction timeline. So once we have an appointment or once we set an appointment, how do we create a consistent experience for the buyer, right? So, which certainly helps us with compliance, but it also helps us with creating standards of performance, you know, making a client feel welcome, making sure that all of the materials are in place, all the communication is there for the agent that you know, is interviewing for that opportunity to represent them. And then once they get into the transaction, how do we make sure that there's, there's no balls that get dropped, you know, that every I gets stopped and dotted, every T gets crossed. Um, and automation is the best way to do that, you know, starting with a checklist and turning it into a process and taking that process and putting it into a system or a, a tool that implements it. And then the other thing that allows for a scale, you know, I, I've always wanted to have a high administrative to sales ratio of people in our business, right? Like we're at about two to three salespeople to every one administrator, but that's because the amount of attention that the client gets, not because of the amount of work that's put on the administrative work that's put on somebody in that operations seat. And so that I think was the really big benefit of kind of automating pieces of the process was you're free to make phone calls and care about people and, you know, set up benefits packages for agents and do things that really make the team, a wonderful place to work and a wonderful place to be served. Yeah. Okay. Thank, thanks for sharing that. So you guys have been 
a top team at KW for quite some time. Are you, I'm guessing you're in Gary's mastermind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And you were a mastery coach at maps for, for a year. And this is something I want to dive into. And you were a founding advisor for KW labs. So tell me about that. Like, this is something when, I guess, when did Gary do that? Has that been about three years now that uh, KW labs got, got underway and got going? Yeah, it was, uh, let's see. So we're 2022. It would have been family reunion at, at, in Anaheim, which I think was 20, was it 2020 or 2019, maybe 2019 when Gary came out and said, Hey, we're a technology company and got you know riddled by the industry. The labs process really started the October before that. Okay. And, you know, I had done some coaching stuff. I really enjoyed it and realized that it was a great challenge to me, but it wasn't the highest and best use of my time. It wasn't the place where I could contribute the most. And it was actually in Gary's mastermind that kind of the idea for labs started to pop up. And at that point, Josh had come in and was kind of presenting some ideas around command. And it just piqued my interest. I mean, obviously the background, you know, in real estate sales and in software development, project management, you know, felt like a really good fit for me. Um, And I'm also pretty damn opinionated, Brian. So like to sit in a room full of people where we're given the ability to basically say, what do you want? Like what exists and what should change about it was a really attractive environment for me. Um, And so, you know, so yeah, so I raised my hand and got involved with labs and leaned in really heavy, you know, so we started with building the, the referral network that's embedded in, in connect and command. And then, you know, moved from there to all the compliance pieces, you know, to the contact card, to opportunities, to smart plans, and just really started sketching those pieces out. Okay. So um, the people that I've spoken with that were also part of that, like, were you actually in Austin on a weekly yeah. basis? I was there at least twice a month for uh, a year, a year and a half. I would would fly from DC to Austin. I'd spend one or two nights there, you know, one or two days all day in a room full of a dozen, two dozen people, um, just kind of hashing out ideas and then go home for a couple of weeks. Okay. So you have a family, mm-hmm. right? Um, how, yeah. many kids, how many kids do you I have? Got, I have two kids. I have a, an eight-year-old son and 11-year-old daughter. Okay. So I'm just, I'm just trying to put this together. It's just out of curiosity. So you're with, and I travel all the time, my wife travels, but as you were building a team and doing that, just what were the challenges with, with traveling being gone while you're building a team and, and maybe your partner is more, is he more the sales lead for your team? So it allows you that kind of flexibility. Exactly. Yeah. So because of the split of the business, it worked really well for that. You know, we had kind of looked at the landscape and said, you know, hey, Tom's more connected to the sales team, right? Like more uh, directly tied to the production numbers there. So he keeps running that. He's actually way more ingrained with local relationships as well, right? So our agents, the team leaders in the market centers, you know, the operating partners that are in the market centers, and my connection was more to, you know, to Gary's group and to support in Austin. And so for the relationship piece, it worked out really well. Obviously for the opportunity, I was super excited about it. And the transition from being a MAPS coach to being involved in labs, you know, I had already carved out a section of time that it wasn't really 
a lot more time that I was carving out from the workday, right? From running our team, it was just replacing it with something different. So that was super helpful, you know, and it was something that we certainly talked through and agreed on, right? Like Tom and I both saw the benefit that was possible out of it. And so, you know, we agreed like, Hey, use your time to do this. And so I did. Uh, and of course there were challenges, you know, on, on the home life as well, right? When you're on the road and some people travel 300 days a year and it works and some people travel three days a year and it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, you know, and so that was a, a, just a really open and honest conversation that my wife and I had about, you know, twice a month is kind of the limit. That's what we were willing to do at that point in our lives. And, you know, where the kids were in school, kids were at two different schools at that point, even though, you know, they're both elementary school aged and drop-offs and pickups and, you know, work-life balance and stuff like that. Uh, twice a month was, was kind of the, the right speed. And I would leave really early on, you know, a Tuesday morning and fly home really late on a Wednesday night uh, or leave really late on a Monday night and fly home really late on a Wednesday night just to minimize that, you know, time away. So I'd wake up, you know, and the kids had gone to sleep the night before and I get to be there for when they woke up. So, we'd, you know, little things yeah. like that, we'd work it out. So looking at that and, and yeah, you totally figure that stuff out, but I'd, I'd love to learn, like, what was the biggest thing you gained from, from doing that or biggest thing you learned that, mm. that maybe you could share with us from, from that experience? And how long did you do that experience? I mean, I still participate a little bit, but it's, it's more everything zoom based now, right? Like world has changed, but I was going down. I think it was, it was twice a month for about 18 months or so. Okay. Um, and, you know, honestly being like being in the room with Gary is always an educational experience. Being in a really small room is even more impactful sometimes, not just because you get to hear what he talks about, but you can see how he works. And I think that was a really, really cool thing. And it just made me grasp kind of the scale and magnitude at which some of the thought process exists, not thinking about, you know, annual goals or two or three year old goals or small sections of a project but zooming way, way out and looking at things in five and 10 year cycles and really challenging the idea of what's possible, right? Not even like what I can do, but what can we do? And then is that the best that can be done versus the best that we think that we can do it? And where does that fuzzy line exist? And how do we, how do we say something is impossible and then decide to do it, right? Because it's impossible. And until you've thought about actually doing it, and then you start to really kind of figure out, okay, what are the nuts and bolts of making that happen? So rather than, you know, having a technical answer, right? Like, oh, it was amazing to, you know, see the automation and smart plans or something come together because it changed the way that your transaction management worked. It was really a thought exercise more than anything else. Experience, yeah. exposure, like that, those, those were the big things that I took away. I um, love that. It, that sound, it sounds like you basically got to see Gary share his vision and his vision of the future of real estate and what that's mm -hmm. going to look like and got to participate in being involved in that at a very close level. So is you're still in this, is Gary still involved in those meetings or is that now more of a Chris Cox and Matt thing or? Yeah. I mean, Gary's still there. Chris and Matt are, are clearly, you know, heavily involved in it as well. And, and, you know, David still does a lot of the agent uh, leadership and interaction and facilitation pieces but yeah, that's not something that's gone away by any means. You know, it's, it's a, uh, there's a lot of moving pieces to it. Yeah. Very exciting. Good. Well, I'd love to get from all your experiences. Like if, if I'm a young team leader out there, just let's just say 10 agents or less, 
wanting to get to that next level? Like what's the best advice you could give to me? So I think that kind of coming off of this heel, the, the heels of what we just talked about, like thinking really big. Um, I think that's great. I think that the next piece is to really kind of sketch it out. Like if you know where you want to go, or even if you have an idea of where you want to go, start to sketch out the journey. Start to look at, you know, what it looks like in a couple of years from now, what it looks like next year, what it needs to look like next month. And don't work on more than one thing at a time. I feel like that's actually, I talked earlier about kind of our ceiling of achievement that we've been at for the last couple of years. And I feel like that is the single biggest factor that's held us from moving forward is we've tried to do too many things at once. We haven't really lined up all the dominoes and said, this is the next thing that we need to tackle. And it's the most important piece. And we're not going to move on to number two until we've done number one. So really, really work sequentially. If you're at 10 team members and you know you want to get to 15 or 20 or 100, understand why you want to do that and what needs to happen in your journey to get there, right? Like there's, there's a path for it. Figure out who's done it before and who's done it really well and who does it similarly to how you want to, you know, and then work from that, that blueprint or that playbook. Yeah. There's so many people in this industry that are willing to share how they've gotten there. Don't just learn the hard way by making all the mistakes. Go, go meet with these people. Like they'll, they'll all let you fly in and shadow them in their offices or whatever the case is. So that being said, what is that one thing then that you guys are going to focus on to really double your business? Cause I'm sure you guys have thought a lot about this. I know most people in the industry that I've met with that have really grown over the last few years at extreme high levels, their, their big thing that they've been focusing on is building an ISA team. Mm-hmm. So is that something you guys are doing or what, what is that one is, thing you guys are focused yeah, on right now? It is for sure. Uh, and an ISE team is, I feel like an incredibly challenging thing to build, right? It is, it's a really demanding job. Um, it's really rewarding when you get it right, but the ability to execute on it and the desire to, to really focus your time that much for that long in one particular area is hard for, it's, it's hard to come by the right person that wants to do that. But while that certainly is something, I think the step before that for us is making sure we know exactly what the value proposition to the customer is, right? Like what's our immediate offer that we're making that is value add for the client so that the ISA's job becomes even easier, right? Cause you can okay. build an ISA team and you can get a bunch of leads that come in, right? You can buy them from wherever. Great. And you can hammer on that and follow up and follow up and follow up and it, it'll work for sure. But if you have an actual value proposition that you're attracting to, I think it's going to work even better. Right. And that's, that's the piece for us is I see the industry, especially with the creation of large teams and the amount of money that's moving into real estate. I see the landscape shifting from what it used to be and what, you know, Gary wrote a millionaire real estate agent, which was prospecting based and marketing enhanced or sorry, marketing based and prospecting enhanced to what, you know, then changed when um, there were shift, which was prospecting based and marketing enhanced to being very marketing based, right? Like what is the value proposition to the client? What are you doing to draw them in as opposed to chasing them down? Yeah. So those are, I mean, those are difficult questions that I think people have been asking for a long time and maybe not looking at as deep as you guys have. Is there anything you can share with us as far as 
like the answers to your value prop? What, what separates you guys? Or is that, is that confidential information that you don't want to share at this point? Man, honestly, um, no, we'll, we'll share anything. And, and for a couple of reasons, one, because people have shared with us just tremendously. And so we want to keep giving back and two, because I don't believe that most of the people we share with are going to implement it. Um, and you know, maybe take that as a challenge because I would love to see everybody succeed at a really high level. And there's a ton of business out there. Right. But partially, you know, we're still working on exactly what that is and how it works. I think what, I think what people want is they want the easy button. They want a simple answer for all of their home needs, right? Not for buying a house or selling a house, but for owning a home. And I think that's the real solution that the entire industry is driving towards, right? Yeah. So how do I, as opposed to, be, you know, how do I become the agent that connects you to, you know, the house and title and lending and insurance? Like, how do I do that? But also answer every single question you have about your house, anticipate what that need is so that no matter where you are on that journey, I'm the person that you call, or I'm the app that you open on your phone to execute the immediate need you have. So that, you know, when I come in to do your annual home service, like there's a conversation that's happening that lets me know, oh, kids are, you know, juniors and the twins are juniors in high school. Like, what are you guys doing when they go away? Makes sense to downsize, you know, and it starts to become a true home and client relationship. That's not just about the transaction and the pieces of it. Yes. So everything I've seen out there and you, you and I share that vision a hundred percent. So I love that you are thinking like going beyond the transaction uh, because I, I agree with you. That is, that is the future of real estate. It's, it's changing. Like it needs to, it needs to be more than just, I'm going to get you to the end of this transaction. Yeah. So Great. Um, well, a couple, couple just quick, quick questions I'd love to hear from you on. Like, what is, what is your favorite book or your favorite source of learning? Like, how, how do you grow every day? Yeah. So I, I, I stole my daughter's Kindle uh, on our last vacation because she doesn't like the Kindle. She likes traditional books. Um, and so I've been kind of using that to read uh, lately. And, and, you know, I like reading my books that way, actually, way more. I don't know why it took me so long to pick up an e-reader. But I definitely, I definitely love books. They're not always business-based. The last book that I reread actually, so um, that is business-related was The Hard Thing About Hard Things um, by Ben Horowitz. A great um, book. Yeah, great book. And then the one before that that I actually read, like back-to-back, read it once and I was like, oh my God, I got to read that again, was, I'm going to get the title wrong. I think it was the, the true, Why Buddhism is True, which was not like, a religious philosophy, but more of a mindset philosophy um, and kind of how, you know, meditation and, and practice around calming our neural system actually is set opposed to how our evolution is structured, um, which was just really, really interesting. And so I love that book. Um, did, did that book, I, it sounds like that's one I need to read. Does that also talk about why it's important to maybe not be the loudest person in the room, but to be the quietest person in the room and step back and listen before you talk. I don't know that he, he hits on that, but he definitely hits on the fact that, you know, as soon as you shut up, you're going to realize you're talking in your head all the time. And like, that's just it's who we are and how we're built, you know? Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but being able to hear the voice inside your head and what it says and knowing when to ignore it and when to, you know, when to lean into it is an important piece. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. It was a great, great. Book. great. So, um, what's your favorite place to, to travel? So my favorite place, we have a vacation spot. It's about 90 minutes outside of DC. It's kind of right at the base of the Shenandoah. Um, and honestly, that's my favorite place to go. Like it's the, the house is a mile off of a main road. So it's a mile long gravel road. And like just making the turn onto that road, just, I feel all the tension release every time I do it. And nice. so that's like, that's my spot right now. I guess that's why you bought a place there, huh? Yeah. Well, we were really lucky because that's where we lived for the first year of the pandemic. And that was not the intent of purchase. It was to get away on the weekends, but man, it worked really, really well for that first year of COVID outside of living on satellite internet. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Good for you. And in your personal time, what's your, what's your favorite thing to do or what's your best escape? Yeah. Um, so love my kids and just, you know, hanging out with them and doing stuff. Um, my son's eight. And so he's starting to lean into to video games and being a child of the eighties. I love that. But uh, I also picked up the guitar a couple of years ago and um, my best friend is my guitar teacher. And, and so like hanging out with her and just, you know, spending time figuring out chord combinations and, and, you know, little lead lick lines and stuff like that. You know, I've always wanted to learn the guitar. That's like the one thing that I've never actually learned that I've wanted to. So yeah, I may have to follow your lead on that. Dude, pick um, it up. It's, it's addictive. And, you know, 20, 30 minutes a day for a couple of weeks and you'll be hooked. I believe you. Yep. So Ty, what's the best way to get a hold of you if somebody wants to follow up with you? Yeah. Um, again, child of the 80s, still really connected to early days of the internet. Shoot me an email, honestly. Ty at fulcrumpg.com. I'm not huge on social, just not, not my thing. You know, I'm not living my best life in, in public. So uh, fire me an email. That's the easiest way to, to, to do it. Okay. Awesome. Well, Ty, thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate your different perspectives, I think, on this industry and just on how to grow a business. So anyway, thank you for joining us. Listeners, thank you for joining us. If you could go out and give us a rating or a like or follow, That'll help us bring in more more top people like Ty into this space. So thanks, everybody. Have a great week. We'll see you next Tuesday. Yeah, thanks, man. Take care. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. If you have an interest in a free seven-day trial of Sisu, go to sisu.co, S-I-S-U dot C-O. Make sure that you use the coupon code GRIT, that's G-R-I-T, to waive all your setup fees and receive a 10% discount on your subscription. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to subscribe, search GRIT, the Real Estate Growth Mindset on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean. And with that, we'll catch you next time. Take care.